Shabbat Shalom, everybody. How are you doing today? Some of you are good. Some of you are happy. Some of you are great. That's what I like to hear. Well, it's a lot warmer in here than it is out there, so I praise the Lord for that. Uh, my name is Chris Frankie. I am one of the pastors of HFF, and so we'd like to welcome you all here today. Uh, got a fantastic Shabbat this morning. We've got uh, Dr. Deb Wiley, who's going to be bringing our main message. And then uh, we've got uh, Daniel Musson, one of our other pastors, who's going to be doing the, uh, the five-minute Torah portion. Um, tomorrow morning, excuse me, tomorrow afternoon, uh, Melissa Musson is spearheading a ladies' gathering at uh, the DeFata household. They're going to be putting together freezer meals for uh, people who are less fortunate and a lot of the people in the congregation. We've got people who've gone through surgeries, a lot of things that have happened over the last month for a lot of people in the congregation. So we're going to put together, hi Shepherd. this become a weekly thing, dude. I like your smile. Uh, but we've got a lot of people who are still recuperating from surgeries and, and going through some things right now. So they're going to be putting together freezer meals so that we can take them and bless them. That's tomorrow at 2 p.m. at the DeFata household. There's more information in the bulletin uh, for you uh, if you will check that out. Uh, tomorrow morning as well is uh, our Grace Living Center gathering. That's at 1030 in the morning is also here in Norman. And uh, Stephen and Alicia Drew spearhead uh, the opportunity for us to get together, do some worship for the Senior Center, hang out with them, uh, talk to them. They love it. They love having the ability to have people come over, pray with them, put on a little mini service over there for them. So once again, it's a fantastic outreach uh, for us to be a light in the community. want to give you guys a quick update because uh, I know some of you have seen it when you came in. This facility is back up for sale. Um, it has been for sale a couple of different times since we've met here. Uh, February will start the third year of us being uh, a congregation in this facility. This facility has gone up for sale a couple times before. The Church of the Harvest is trying to sell the facility. They're not using, utilizing all of their campuses. And so uh, we're kind of in limbo. Uh, we're praying. We'd ask for that you join with us. We obviously have felt like from the get-go, the Lord brought us to this specific facility. We obviously can't afford to buy it. We have no intention of buying it. Uh, but we do have to figure out whether we're going to stay or whether we're going to go. And so the eldership has been praying about that. We ask that you join us in prayer for that, that the Lord would really kind of guide uh, what's going to happen. We do believe from what we hear that other churches have an interest in purchasing, but they are Sunday churches. And as being Sunday churches, we do believe that there would be the opportunity for us to still rent. We've gone through, I think, like four or five Sunday churches who have met here while we've been here, and we're still here. So um, at the same point in time, we have some uh, other opportunities of other places that we could go, uh, especially in thanks to Aubrey from Wake Church, who currently meets here on Sunday mornings because they're at the same point in time looking at potentially doing a different facility. So we may be uh, in our third year in a new facility. We may still be here, but want to make that announcement, especially since as you drive in, you now see that there's a huge old billboard that says for sale. So um, we're not planning on buying it. <laughs> we don't have that kind of money. We're not rolling in the dough. But, hey, if the Lord wants to gift it to us, by all means, you know, I'll give him an amen and a hallelujah for it. But he's, uh, he's never left us high and dry yet. I don't think he's going to start. So, uh, but just please keep that in your prayers as well. Men's prayer breakfast is January 20th. So it's hard to believe it's almost 2019. It's catching up to my age. And I'm trying to outrun it too. As I wish I'd stop outrunning it. I don't like to run. But I'm just getting older and the years are going by quicker and quicker. So, 
uh, Bible study. Man, nobody thought that was funny. I am getting older. Thank you. See, the frickers laughed loud enough for everybody. When I moved here, I had no gray hair. Now I have nothing but gray hair. So, um, you can, did you know you can buy spray paint for your hair? Uh, hey, you're supposed to be humble. I'm just trying to be humble. I'm trying to let you know I'm, I'm not as skinny as I used to be. I'm, I'm definitely wiser. Though. The Bible says I'm getting wiser because I'm getting gray hair. So I'll take, I'll take, that, I'll take that blessing from the Lord. So uh, Bible study on 2 Timothy is at the Frickers household, uh, the ones who were laughing at my jokes. That means they're great people. They're, they're friends of the congregation when they laugh at my joke. Uh, Thursdays at 6.30. Uh, so they're right, actually right around the corner here and more on the Moore Norman line. So um, come for some time of fellowship, small group, uh, great people, great, uh, great study. And then uh, January 12th, which is sat, uh, Saturday in the evening, the Real Family Life Marriage Group will also be meeting as well with the Fosters, and there's more information in there. So, uh, well, let's go ahead. Let's stand up. Let's greet somebody. Say Shabbat Shalom. We'll get the worship team in place, and we're going to go ahead and start, uh, start Shabbat off right with some praise and worship.
Your kindness is 
You are 
Um, HFF praise and worship and also prayer time now and the joy of this morning is that we can join together in praying for one another and in praying for our fellowship for yourselves as you come into the presence of of our king um, you might kind of see a change in voice and a change in appearance. My husband Carlos is usually the one that does this and so um, he's at, he's not feeling very well this morning so I would appreciate you praying for him. In addition to the other prayer requests that we have um, over the course of the week Kayla Diffie's stepmom uh, fell, broke her foot in the process of, of that and um, has blood clots now in her leg. And we do need to pray for her. Um, Hal Porch's sister, Amy, was found yesterday uh, unconscious and in her car at McDonald's. She's been taken to the hospital and um, is recovering there, but there is she's still not coherent and um, in need of prayer. Hal is on the road, and as you can imagine, this is the reason why Carlos does this and I don't. Um, as you can imagine, he uh, is concerned for his sister and can't really get word until he gets to Irving, Texas tomorrow. So would you be pre please pray for Amy? There have been a number of people who have been um, in need of healing. Corey, it's so good to see you. But we need to pray for Corey. Also for Corey's sister, Patrice, who uh, recently had surgery on her knee and is in need of prayer for healing for that and Joyce Moreno, Ray Moreno's sister who has been in and out of the hospital uh, with several uh, issues with the heart and things of this nature so okay. um, there are also people who 
our um, just that we are not aware of. So it's the Lord leads you to be praying for those people. My heart is that we you would pray for you, that you would pray for your time in this service today, that you would pray that the Lord would speak to you through the teaching that is to come. And it may be in the blessing over the children. It may be in the first five. It may be in the message that Dr. Deb is bringing. But would you pray that God would speak to your heart, that you would walk out of here changed as a result of being here this morning? I'm going to give you a few minutes. Carlos always gives you a couple. I'll give you a little bit of time. Pray for you. And then pray for the needs of our community here at HFF. One last thing. Pray for us as a community of HFF. That the Lord would use us in a mighty way to reach out into this community. That we would not be silent in our pew. But that we would be vocal about who he is and what he wants us to do in our lives. So I'll give you a moment of two to pray and then I'll close us. Father, we come to you this morning because you are our only hope. Without you, there would be no, no reason for our existence. We come to you because we have no way of really um, healing anyone. You're the one that has to heal. And we seek your healing for Amy 
for Joyce, for Kayla's stepmom, for Patrice, for our loved Corey, for those needs that are unspoken or may not be at my attention. But Father, you know every need, whether it's physical healing, mental healing, spiritual healing. Lord, you're the one that we have to come to because we are helpless in and of ourselves. Lord, there are needs in this congregation, spoken and many unspoken. Lord, you know them. And again, we come to you that you would meet those needs as you've promised that you would. We are so thankful that you have put us together as a fellowship of believers who love you, who desire to be your instrument of peace in this community. So, Father, would you put on our hearts, would you not let us rest until we have become the servants that you desire for us to be, that you would not rest until you have created in us a heart that looks like yours, that's broken like yours at the needs of those that are around us. And then, Father, would you put our hands to work that we would be able to serve you in a way that pleases you and brings honor and glory to your name. We thank you, Father, for this service, for the time that we can be together to worship you, to come into your presence, to sing your praise. And now, Father, as we go to the points of of hearing your words, let them work in our lives, work in our hearts, that we would be changed and not the same as when we walked in. We love you, and we praise you for all you're going to do. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. If we could all bring, bring up all the kids, let's pour out a blessing upon them on this Sabbath day. Uh, Look at all these wonderful, beautiful, smiling faces. Chance to see their friends. All right, let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. Father, we thank you for the amazing blessings that you pour out to us here in this congregation and in our individual families. Father, we thank you for the abundance. We thank you for the new lives that are before us. We thank you for the amazing blessings that they are to us and the unmerited favor that you give to us. Father, you have bestowed upon us, the parents, the elders, you have uh, put in our charge, Lord, taking care of each and every one of these beautiful little souls. And Father, I pray that you would always grant us wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Give us the words to speak life into them each and every day, Father. May it be your words and your words alone, Father. May there be only your spirit that leads us as we lead our children. Let there not be a spirit of anger, a spirit of impatience, Father, but Father, may the fruits of your spirit always be upon our lips, in our hearts, and in our minds. So Father, we bless the sons. May they be as Ephraim and Manasseh. May they be fruitful and multiply as they grow 
into manhood. And Father, we bless the daughters. May they be as Ruth and Esther. Make them righteous daughters of Zion as they grow to become mothers and leaders in their own right. Father, we pour out a special blessing upon them on this Sabbath day. We pray that you turn your face toward them, that you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. So we bless them on this Sabbath day. We thank you for the beautiful children that we have before us, Father. And may you just continue to grant favor and kindness to all the families of those in this congregation. We love you. We bless you and thank you on this day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right. Kids are dismissed to their class, ages 4 through 12. Yeah, that's my kid that's making all the noise. Shocking! I'm sure no one could have predicted that. Shabbat Shalom. So last week, of course, we came to the end of the first book in our reading cycle, Bereshit. Now, uh, this week we enter, of course, into the next book, um, this is where the Hebrew and the English deviate. So, in the, in the Hebrew, Genesis and Bereshit basically speak to the same thing. A Genesis is the beginning of something, okay? And Bereshit in Hebrew is in the beginning, okay? Um, and then when we get through the next three books, the Hebrew and the English deviate from one another because this book in English, we know it as Exodus. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's Shemot, which is names, don't mean the same thing at all. But Exodus is a overall story of what takes place in this book, okay? The reason why it's called Shemot is because it starts off with the lineage of Yaakov, okay? These were all the people that went down to Egypt and dwelled there. And then it goes on to tell the story what happened as they grew and multiplied and were blessed in the land, and then a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph, and this Pharaoh saw the Hebrews as a threat. And so everything changed at that moment. They became slaves. They were oppressed with hard labor. Um, and as a result, they lost their freedoms. And now they became slaves of the Egyptian kingdom. And then, of course, we know what happens. This man named Moses, this boy named Moses is born. And it tells the story of how he grew up and how he was adopted into the household of Pharaoh through the providence of the Lord. And we, of course, know the story that he grows up and he somehow is told, because we know that he's weaned by his own mother, uh, but somehow he is told that he is a Hebrew. And so he sees these, this, uh, you know, two Hebrews fighting, right? And he gets involved and things develop where he ends up in his, in his anger, he ends up killing an Egyptian over a dispute. And so what happens is, of course, then he is outcast, and he runs away. And so he goes and he dwells in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And in the wilderness there, there's some things that take place. He acquires a wife, and he becomes a shepherd. And then there we get into where he's called. And while he's in the wilderness, he's called by the Lord. And there we have the burning bush uh, experience. Well, what's interesting about this is that Moshe's life actually breaks down into three different stages. See, the first 40 years of his life, he was in Pharaoh's household. He was raised almost as an Egyptian. 
I say almost because he knows he was a an Hebrew. And then at the age of 40, this takes place and he goes and he lives then as a nomad for the next 40 years. A shepherd wandering around in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. And then the next 40 years we know is the Exodus story. Wandering in the wilderness again with more sheep. Just ones that talk back. Okay? And so we see this, this uh, existence of Moshe breaks down into these three different stages. But what prompts all of this is that the children of Israel suffered hardship. It says in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 20, through 25, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to Elohim. So Elohim heard their groaning, and Elohim remembered his covenant with Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Elohim saw the sons of Israel, and Elohim took notice of them. Now what's interesting is that it takes until three quarters of the way through chapter two before Adonai comes onto the picture. See, prior to that in this book, it's silent. It's not about Adonai. It's not about Elohim. It's about the children of Israel. And then what happens is the children of Israel find themselves in a place of hardship. And what do they do? They cry out. And when we cry out, he shows up. And that's exactly what took place. But here's the thing. There were many years that are encompassed by chapters 1 and 2. Many years. And there's no reference to Adonai in those chapter in that portion but here's the thing just because he was silent in the first one and a half chapters doesn't mean that he wasn't there and Moshe experienced this himself because he had to go through that period where in the wilderness by himself for 40 years he seemingly didn't hear from Adonai until Adonai approaches him. Now, what this teaches us is that there was a testing that had to take place while Moshe was growing up in the wilderness before he would be ready to take the children of Israel through that same wilderness. And that's reflected by Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. It says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but Adonai tests the hearts. See, here's what happens. When refining gold... You light a fire under it. Any blacksmiths in the house that might be able to tell us about this? So you light a fire under, gold obviously is solid, right? So you've got to melt it. And so you have to get that fire hot enough to melt the gold. And then what happens is that a refiner will sit there and he will watch that gold as it boils. And as it boils, what ends up happening is the impurities end up rising to the surface, and then he takes a skimming stick, and he skims what's called the dross. This is the stuff that rises. And he skims that stuff off of the surface and removes it. And when there is no more dross, no more impurities that are rising to the surface, he has nothing else to scrape off. The refiner knows when the gold is pure, because he'll be able to look down into the gold and see his reflection. Because there will be no impurities on the top. And see, the same thing happens to us. And this is what happened to Moshe in the wilderness. He had to go through this time where the fire was applied to him, where the testing was there. And seemingly, Adonai was silent during that time. But he was purifying Moses, getting him ready 
for the trial that would come, for what he would face. So the question that we have today, are we willing, number one, to allow him to heat us up and test us through that fire? Number two, are we willing to wait upon him to pull those impurities, those imperfections out of us until he sees his reflection in us? Are we willing to do it even if it's going to take another 40 years? If we want to follow in the steps of Moshe, we should be in a place where our hearts say, yes, Lord, even if it takes 40 years, test me, try me, for I want to be refined by the refiner. Amen? Father, we thank you for this day. We ask that you would be with us today, that you would speak to us, that you would come to us through the message, that you would pierce our hearts, and that your spirit would prompt us to honor and glorify you in everything that we do. We thank you, Father. We surrender this service to you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning and Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Wow, that was great. Was that great worship today or what? That's the next generation coming up right there is awesome. Thank you, guys. As uh, Daniel's bringing a table for me <laughs> so I can put my notes on. I just wanted to... Um, let everybody know that this is a beautiful day in the Father, as all days are. And I'm super excited to be able to share this message today. And why am I super excited about today's message? Because it comes straight from the Word of God, and we should all be excited anytime that the Lord wants to talk to us through His Word. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something that probably um, most women would not talk about, um, because look up there, football. How many women in here hate the football season? Oh gosh, none, hardly, good. I don't, I love football. So it got me to thinking about a couple of things, and um, I'm going to share those with you right now, because I believe there is some really strong foundational biblical truths that we can glean from the game of football. Oh my gosh, can, did she really say that? Is that really true? And my question is, do you run offense or does offense run you? And there's a major difference a major difference. Now, I know those are two different kind of offenses, right? Two types of offenses. We run offense in football, and spiritually, our Messiah gave us the ball. This is the ball. And if you look at the screen and you see the one running with the ball, where is the ball? It's tucked in safely next to his heart. 
as the scripture should be with us because that's our power, that's our strength, and that's how we run. And God has called us to run offense, not to be run by offense. When we get offended, we actually change teams. To be offended means that offense is going to run you. And being easily offended is a form of self-victimization. Ooh, ouch. Have you ever talked to someone who's offended that somehow weren't the victim somehow? Just saying. If you are easily offended and everything offends you and you take it personally, then you have to stand in the position of the victim. That's the wrong team. God saves us from victimization and calls us to be victorious. And if you look at a football player that has the ball, what is he looking at? Is he looking at the person that handed him the ball? No, he's looking, or is he looking at somebody else on his team? Of course, I've never played football, so Stephen, you can stand to correct me later. But, um, but I watched a lot of games. That should make me an expert, right? They are focused on a goal. They are focused on making it to the end zone. We as believers need to keep our focus on a goal. And the goal is the end zone. Where when we finally get there, which we haven't yet, because we here have team members that are helping us to run interference for us. And the things that you see coming at you. Now, I have never, like I said, played, well, we used to play tag football when we were kids. But I've never looked at a line of refrigerators with legs on coming straight at me before. So I have no idea what that feels like. But I know that the person with the ball can't be living in fear. He has to run like his life depends upon it because basically it does. When God has given us his word, he's expecting us to play offense with it, to not look at the opposition that's coming at us, but to keep our eyes focused on the goal that's in front of us. And I want to go into a couple of things about that. In, in football... When you're running offense, you are proactive. You want to be victorious, and you keep the goal, that goal, in view. I want to read from Philippians. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Philippians 3.12 through 14. And this is Paul speaking. And here's what he says. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind. Much like a ball player, right? Forgetting all of the past, forgetting those things, those sins that have easily entangled you, forgetting all the stuff that's behind you, and reaching forward, he says, to those things which are ahead, which is our goal. I know we stumble sometimes, and I know we fall, and we may even fumble the ball. We may not use the word of God aright the way we should, but we should keep the goal in mind. And God did not call us to be passive. He called us to be aggressive in our faith. He called us to be aggressive in our spiritual walk. And he goes on to say in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's an upward call. What does that mean? Are we talking about getting sucked out of here at some kind of, uh, you know, event? Like a rapture or something? No, the upward call of Jesus Christ, the upward call of Yeshua HaMashiach, is to be an overcomer, a conqueror, not to let things stand in our way, to keep our eyes on the goal ahead. The last time I was here, I talked about being broken and how God shines through that. That's what we have to focus on, the glory of God, what he's doing in our lives, not the experience of the things that have happened to us or are happening to us. And yet, we usually get really uh, shocked when people are offended, right? We're like, why, you know, these are brothers of mine. I want to read something that, that Paul also wrote to Timothy. And he warned him about these very things. And he wasn't talking about the world. He was talking about believers. Second Timothy, the third chapter, and verse 1 reads, But know this. Okay, do we know this? Okay, let's know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Can we all get an amen, hallelujah, glory to God, we're living in perilous times? I mean, my kids used to ride their bikes until it got dark, and I never worried about them. They'd always show up at dinner time. Most parents now can't even let their kids outside to play unless they're supervised. Well, at least in California. It may be different here in Oklahoma, but I know in California you don't dare. For, and, and notice what it goes on to say, because these are perilous times that we're all familiar with. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unloyal, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Having, this is all having a form of godliness right here I just read. Do you get that? This is what he's speaking to believers, not the world. Now when we read that, we automatically think, oh yeah, that's exactly how those people in the world are. That's exactly right. 
No, he's talking about believers. That's frightening. Because here's what happens. He says, not only do they have a form of godliness, but deny its power, and from such people turn away, for this is the sort that creep into households. And who do they creep in and whisper to? The gullible. And it goes on in verse 7 and says, always learning. I want you to get this. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Doesn't that sound like a lot of believers? Oh, you know, brother, I've, I've got 55 books on the Talmud and 300 books according to, you know, what the anomalies say. And I, I'm, I'm also, you know, very uh, well-versed in Hebrew and Greek and Arabic and anything else. And you can continually learn and learn and learn. But unless this becomes one with your heart... Everything we learn, we learn in vain. Now, I love study. Don't get me wrong. And I am not saying that, that we don't need to study and show ourselves approved by God. But if it's only head knowledge, and it's a way to puff us up and make others feel discouraged because maybe they don't have an understanding that maybe you have, then we've got trouble in River City. <laughs> And I believe God's correcting some things in the body of Messiah right now. I believe that at one point the pendulum swung way over here to all, towards all this knowledge. And now he's swinging it back to center again. To where we live offensive faith. It was so good to hear the announcements this morning about the people getting together and making uh, meals for people that are less fortunate, for visiting the sick and those that, that are, you know, all, uh, homeless and, and all of the less fortunate people. That is being on the offense. That's what we're called to do. But what happens is we get into this, um, I'm, I'm going to call... Can I call us what we really are? We're like a holy huddle. We come here on Shabbat and we all get in the huddle, right? Well, if we get in the huddle and don't do anything with it, guess what? We're playing. We're not even in the game. We're coming and trying to look like we're in the game. But we're really not in the game because the game isn't in here, it's out there. We come to holy huddle to get the, the direction, the strength, the power the understanding, to get a clearer picture of the goal and to go out there and do it and make a difference. That's the real game that God's called us into. When we just wholly huddle, 
There's no goals. There's no plays. And the scariest thing of all is there's no team spirit. And we never get in the game. But when we're in it, and we come here to holy huddle for a purpose and for a reason of sharing salvation, reaching the lost, feeding the hungry, sharing testimony, covering one another, visiting those in prison, doing the things that Yeshua described when he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those are people that are in the game. And I've said this before, and I know you've heard me. It's not well done, good and faithful student. It's not well done, you who can pronounce the name of Yahweh correctly. The stupid things that we bicker over and fight about and, and doctrinize, he never even addressed. And he's the king. Okay, just saying, he's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to rule the whole shebang. Right? Shouldn't we be looking to him? And finding out what's important to him and not what's important to us? Being in the game is important to him. He said, go therefore, not sit therefore. You know, there's a reason they call them pews, because the longer you sit there, the more they stink. You know, pew. I love plays on words. <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes our faith stinketh because we don't get out and do what we're called to do. He did not call us into the sidelines. We can sit in the stands all day and go, yeah, good job, go for it, and never be involved in the game. And the funny thing is, and I've noticed this for years, is the people that you see in the stands with uh, out shirts on and their tummies painted with signs on them and everything, and they're going, yeah. Those are the same people that sit in the pews and won't even raise their hands when we're worshiping the Most High. Because that's weird. Seriously? Seriously. It's weird to be in the game, to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, to get the game plan, to get downloaded so that you have the strength and the power and the might to go out of this building and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. To pray for those that are lost and see them give their lives to the Lord. That's being in the game. You know, I'm personally, I'm way too old to play church. I'm tired of playing. I want to get in the game. I want to make a difference in people's lives. And I know I'm not the only one. I know I stand in a congregation of people that feel the same way, and that's awesome. And that's powerful. But there comes a time when we can't huddle anymore. 
We have to be out there doing and not huddling. I want to read to you something that's in 2 Thessalonians 2, and this has always scared the snot out of me. Okay. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. I'm going to say that again. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. It doesn't say that they did not receive the truth. That they might, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they would believe the lie. See, if we harden our hearts to the call of God in our lives and what he wants us to do, we run the risk of believing a delusion. And I could tell you from being a therapist, the worst deception is self-deception. Because then you don't change. You have no need to. It's everybody else. And God is in the business Our Savior, our Redeemer, wants to redeem us. Guess who he wants to save us from the most? Ourselves. In my life, I have needed more salvation from myself than against any other person. And we can look up and we can see the defense coming at us. And they may be mountainous looking. But if we have really holy huddled and we have this as our strength to guide us, to direct us, to give us our plays, to live by, then there's no weapon formed against us that can prosper. We will be able to duck and dodge and run every circumstance in our lives and get to the other side, get to the goal, and receive the victory. Because the victory isn't in ourselves I want to read from Romans. And the reason I'm reading these things so that you can recognize the difference between allowing offense, like being offended, to run you rather than running the game. And I'm going to make a bold statement here. I've been in ministry for years. I said a lot. I have never ever, and it really literally has been 30 years or more, ever met a person that had an evangelical spirit that evangelized, that went out, that was easily offended. You know why? Because they're too busy being in the game. When we stand around and just huddle, guess what we're going to see? Each other's imperfections, the things they don't do right, the things that this person's doing wrong and that person's doing wrong. Why do we see that? Because we're not in the game. We're not in the game. 
when you are in the game and you've talked to five people this week who have given their hearts to God, that have totally turned over their lives, and you've seen them go from darkness to light, you don't have time to listen to all of the... You can't see it from the platform. You don't have time for that because you're excited to be in the game. You're watching God do great things in people's lives. You're watching lives change. Who wants to hear about Sister Whoop-dee-doo? And we're sharing testimonies. And I saw God do this this week. And this person had a, a, a diagnosis that, that looked horrible. And guess what? God healed them. When we have that going on, we're not interested in the other kind of offense. We're interested in playing offense. We're interested in being the game, in the game, making a difference in people's lives. Romans 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Huh, are you hearing that? How do you retain God in your knowledge? You act like him. You reflect him. It's not just something you're learning. It's something you're doing, right? God gave them over to a debased mind. Some, some translations read a retrobate mind. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Notice murder and strife are right beside each other. It's kind of interesting. Evil-mindedness, and notice what it says here. They are whispers. Oh, did you know? Have you heard about Philip DeFada over there? <laughs> Do you know what he did? Not to mention Holly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to whisper some things. I'm going to be, in verse 30, a backbiter. And, uh, and by the way, Philip and Holly are awesome. They're amazing. This is not, uh, you know... Uh, me trying to get back at them, even though we're in-laws. <laughs> People might expect that. But anyway, no, we, are, we love, 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 love each other. I just happened to see your face kind of shining back at me, so I thought, okay, I'll do that. Okay. Backbiters, haters of God. When we do those things, we change teams. We're not on the offensive team anymore. We're on a whole different team, and it's not God's team. Violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God. So these are not, this isn't the world, people. This is within the body of Messiah. And who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So be careful who and what you listen to. 
Because it's not just you. If you stand there and idly listen to a bunch of trash talk about a brother in Messiah who carries the very image of God, we're in trouble. We're letting offense rule us. Yeshua even said in Matthew 18, 7, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man who brings them. And it says in Greek, and I translated this word in Greek because this was written in Greek, that offenses in this passage is in, in Greek, skandalon. And what it means, it means that it's a trap. It's like a twig that a trap is in and you put bait inside the trap and then you pull the trap. When you backbite, gossip, and talk about a fellow believer or brother, it's a trap. And when Satan gets you inside the trap, he pulls it. And guess what? You're trapped. And you're not on the field playing anymore. You're in prison. Yeshua had an end goal. And he never lost his focus. He described the horror that would happen during the last days, the great tribulation. And in Matthew 24, 8, 10, 10, it reads, 8 through 10, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesakes. And then many, notice, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. We see this in the body of Messiah. All you got to do is go on Facebook and look at some of the arguments and everything and you're like, what? See, I, I, I'm not on any of those sites <laughs> because of that. Because I don't want to waste my time reading them. I don't want to waste my time reading people argue about doctrine and whatnot because I want to be on the game. We need to be on the game. God has called us to be on the game. He has desired to put us in the playing field. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not with like one who just beats the air and can't get anything done, but I discipline myself and bring, it into, bring myself into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I should myself become disqualified. We've got to run the game. We've got to run like nobody's business. And there will be those who run beside us but aren't running with purpose. Our job isn't to judge that. Our job is to love them.
Our job is to keep our eyes on the goal and our focus on him. Matthew eleven twelve reads, the kingdom of the heavens is taken by violence and the violence seize on it. I used the, I looked it up on the Darby translate. I looked up all kinds of translations, but I like the Darby. It says from, in, in the Amplified, I want to read that too, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of the heavens suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. That's the Amplified. That's how we have to be. We have to be like those football players on the field that are running offense, and all we're thinking about is scoring and making it to the goal line. We can't be distracted with nonsense. We can't be distracted by people's opinions. We have to keep this. I know this sounds kind of weird. I'm using the Bible as a football when that's typically called a pigskin, but I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) Some of you are not laughing. (laughs) But if we keep this close to our heart, it will guard us. It will protect us. It will give us the game plan. It will give us everything we need to reach the goal. Psalms 144, and I'm going to wrap it up here before they get the hook. Psalms 144, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. I love that scripture because it tells us and helps us to know that we are called for such a time as this to be players on the field. I will totally close with this. Isaiah 41, 9 through 12. You who I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions, do we believe that's us? He said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. There shall be nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them, those who contended with you. We don't need to be contending with people. We need to be contending with our own flesh. But we need to keep our eyes on the goal. We need to make sure that we're always in the offensive position and not the offended one. Amen? Amen. Let's close this with prayer. Father, I thank you so much for, for your word. Father, we thank you for truth. Help us to identify truth in our hearts and love it. Help us to love all the truth that you put within your word and let us guard our hearts 
because out of it truly does flow the issues of life. Father, whether they're good or they're evil is up to us based upon what we allow in our hearts. Help us to be ever mindful that we are called to be proactive and not reactive, that we are called to move forward in the game of this evangelical lifestyle that you have called us to, to reach others, to help others, and to bring them you because you are the only true salvation and you are our life. In Yeshua's name I pray for everyone here. Let us not leave here today the same way we walked in. In Yeshua's name, amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel." Yivarechecha Adonai Vaishmarecha Panaha vilecha vayasim lecha lecha shalom. Bashim Yeshua Hamashiach, Sarcha Shalom, Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. I close my eyes and colors fly. There's no hiding from your grace. I can't deny.